Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today is the day. The Central Florida Prophecy Conference starts today and goes through Saturday at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida. Watchmen on the Wall speakers Greg Patton, Larry Stam, Larry Spargimino, James Collins, and Dr. Kenneth Hill will be there along with special guest Bill Federer. Visit swrc.com and click on events at the top of the homepage for a complete schedule. The Central Florida Prophecy Conference, today and tomorrow in Lakeland, Florida. Register for free by calling 1-800-652-1144 or visit swrc.com. Our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, welcomes author Derek Gilbert to the program to discuss his new book entitled The Second Coming of Saturn, The Great Conjunction, America's Temple, and the Return of the Watchers. Did you know that the underworld is real? Now, I'm not talking about the Chicago Mafia. Derek Gilbert has distinguished himself as a top-flight biblical and historical researcher. He's also a commentator on current events. The Second Coming of Saturn is the title of his new book. What does it all mean for you and me? Now, let me read the full title because as we get into our interview, you'll see how it all comes together. The full title is The Second Coming of Saturn, The Great Conjunction, America's Temple, and the Return of the Watchers. Derek, you've done a tremendous job. Thank you so much for your book, and thank you for being on our show. It's an honor, Larry. I always enjoy talking with you. I know. A few days ago, I did a really great show with Josh Peck, The Great Delusion. (laughs) That's another great one, and I'm just thinking of all that's going on in our universe and in our country And I think if we are certainly biblically literate, and I want to be, and I know you are, I think we'll see something of where we are in history and on the eschatological timetable, where we're going and what we need to be doing. But as we start, on December the 21st, 2020, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Derek, is this really significant, and if so, in in what sense? Well, you know, and I know, and your listeners know, Larry, that as Christians, we understand that our fates are not determined by the movement of planets in the sky. Yes. But the New Agers and occultists do think so, and many of them are very wealthy and very important people. The Great Conjunction, people might remember it being described by the media as the Christmas star. This was on the winter solstice of 2020, December 21st, when Jupiter and Saturn met in their closest observable conjunction, where they were very close together in the sky, since 1226. That's almost 800 years. And they met at zero degrees of the constellation Aquarius, which is significant because in the minds of astrologers signifies that we are now fully entered into the age of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. Fifty years after the hit record by the fifth dimension, we are finally fully into the age of Aquarius. Astrologers called this meeting in the sky the Great Mutation, which they believe signifies a shift to a world that's less materialistic and more decentralized, which is a nice way of saying socialist. (laughs) (laughs) Which I suggest is not coincidental to the fact that one month later to the day, the World Economic Forum, this is the group founded 
and headed up by Klaus Schwab, announced its full blueprint for what it calls the Great Reset. Yes. Of course, the irony here is that God has a greater reset that is coming, prophetically speaking, but these are people who believe that we can create heaven here on earth. And the time is now to begin this move to fundamentally transform humanity and transform civilization into right. a more equitable, more fair civilization. What they want to create, essentially, Larry, is the golden age. They want to recreate the golden age of long ago. They believe that this entity, the Romans called Saturn, the Greeks called Kronos, who ruled as king of the Titans over a golden age, that's the pre-flood era, is supposed to return. And this meeting in the sky last December of Jupiter and Saturn, Jupiter the storm god, the king of the Roman pantheon, equated with Zeus in the Greek pantheon, and Baal in the Bible, handed off the baton back to his dad, Saturn, to bring us back to that golden age, leaving the iron age in which we now live when life is difficult and hard to a golden age when we will literally create heaven on earth. That's kind of what prompted this study. This kind of the thesis of the book, actually, looking at what is going on in the natural realm in response to what these astrologers and New Agers saw on the winter solstice of 2020. Well, it sounds something like Ray Kurzweil and the transhumanists. They're going to create the millennium without the Lord coming back. The idea that we all have some weaknesses, we need special eyes, special limbs, that we won't get sick, we won't have, quote, global warming, pollution, and so on and so forth. So they are seeking very hard to improve everyone and as I was talking to Josh the other day about the UFOs, it seems like a lot of the stuff that's being channeled to those who have been abducted, it's the same kind of thing. The Space Brothers are going to teach us how to live, how to not make war, how to be better people. I mean, this whole thing seems all tied together in one big ball. It is. And in fact, the transhumanist movement, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is part and parcel of this the World Economic Forum believes that we are entering what they call the fourth technological revolution. Yes. And the goal is nothing less than the defeat of death, of overcoming death through technology. The problem with that, Larry, as I'm sure you realize, is that if they were somehow to overcome this, if they were to overcome the problem of death through technology, with human hearts being unregenerate as they are, there would no longer be any consequences in the natural realm mm. for any choices we made, that right. would literally be hell on earth. It would not be heaven, yes. it would be hell on earth. Amen. Now, ironically, when we see in Revelation 9, when the abyss opens up toward the end of the Great Tribulation period and those locust-like things, which I argue in the book, by the way, and I've mentioned in previous books, I believe that's the titans of Greek mythology, the watchers of Hebrew religion, the sons of God from Genesis 6. We know they're in the abyss in Tartarus, Second Peter 2, verse 4. That's what comes out at the end, and people will long for death, but death will flee from them. Right. I think if they get what they want, overcoming death through science, they're going to regret it before the end. So the Roman god Saturn and the Greek equivalent Kronos has taken different forms in different cultures. So tell us about Shemihaza. Shemihaza was the leader of the Watchers. This is a class of angel. We see the Watchers mentioned in Daniel chapter 4. They've got great right. power, great responsibility. But a number of them, according to the Book of Enoch, 200 to be precise, decided to rebel against God 
and swore a mutual oaths with one another to go through with their plan to corrupt humanity. And they right. took uh, wives. This is the incident briefly described in Genesis 6. So they corrupted the human bloodline by commingling their divine genetics with our human genetics. That resulted in the Nephilim, the giants who yes. existed in the pre-flood era. They also taught us forbidden knowledge, things we weren't supposed to know. Well, Shemiyaza is named as the chief of the watchers who led this rebellion. It's my belief that as the chief of the watchers, and again, we see in Second Peter 2, verses 4 and following, also Jude, verses 6 and 7, that these angels who committed, in the context of Peter and Jude's writings, it's clear that it was a sexual sin that was committed. Right. They are now confined in the abyss, chained in gloomy darkness until the judgment. That's when the abyss opens in Revelation 9. It follows, in my view, that if this fellow Shemayaza is the chief of those who led the rebellion, he would likewise be equated to Kronos, the king of the Titans, who in the fake news version that the pagans absorbed, that he would be equated to the king of the Titans, Kronos to the Greeks, Saturn to the Romans, but known by a number of other names throughout history. But Shemayaza is the oldest identity worn by this creature. Right. There are modern cults that uh, venerate Saturn. They work to create a new golden age of humans, and they're thinking to do it by humans commingling with gods. Now, when we look at Genesis 6-4, we see that we have that in the scriptures. And I'm wondering, this idea of genetic manipulation, commingling of human with demons or superheroes, and then I'm thinking that, you know, the I guess it's the two major vaccines, Moderna, and Pfizer, originally they were called gene therapy. Of course, that doesn't sound too good. We're not going to force people to take gene therapy. You know, to take a vaccine sounds better. Is there any connection here with this? I mean, the mRNA vaccine has a lot of critics. Even the one who invented it is saying, hey, we need to go a little slow on this. So do you see a larger connection? Is this all tied together? Prophetically speaking, I think this is more to do with the mark of the beast in Revelation mm. 9 than with trying to upgrade humanity. Just looking at it at its most base, which is the financial incentive. You know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul wrote. And they've invested a lot of money over the last 30 or 40 years trying to find a way to bring this mRNA technology to market, and they haven't done so. Until COVID came along, mm -hmm. it had never been approved. This technology had never been approved, even for human trials, much less wide-scale use. So it may be just as simple as they're trying to recoup their investment. But I think the way it was rolled out by convincing us that this threat was so dire that we had to take extraordinary measures, yes. these new, untested technologies, I think this is how humans will eventually be convinced to take the mark of the beast. I don't believe that this is the mark because, again, right. Revelation 9 is a long ways off. There are a lot of very traumatic things we have to go through, like earthquakes, the likes of which we've never yes. seen, a flaming mountain hitting the ocean, a wormwood, and all of that. But I think this may be a trial run yes. being motivated by the spirit realm. Again, as Christians, we understand, as Paul wrote, that we're not wrestling with human opponents, but against principalities and powers and right. cosmic rulers over this present darkness. That's literal evil intelligences who want to destroy us. And they're whispering in the ears of some of these human actors yeah. who may not even be aware that they're doing the bidding of supernatural evil. Well, there's been a lot of fear in our country. I think we can really say fear is one of the characteristics of the COVID pandemic. I mean, 
It has created an abiding sense of hopelessness. And then the other day, I noticed that a Dr. Harvey Rich, he's professor of epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health, he says, we have had a pandemic of fear. And then he goes on and he says, fear has affected everybody, whereas the infection has affected relatively few. So, Derek, I think you're really on the mark when you see the pandemic playing out and at least getting us ready to take some kind of a mark. And if we don't have that mark, we'll lose our honorable discharge. We'll be fired, even though we were heroes and heroines a few months ago when we were working 14 hours a day. But now the president wants to remove us and fire us because we won't take the vaccine. I think that's exactly right. This is how they will persuade, they will intimidate the majority of people to take that mark. And remember, the key aspect of that mark is worship of the beast. Yes. So this is what it's going to look like when that day arrives. But we as Christians, we are not given a spirit of fear. I mean, you know, look, I try to be cognizant of my health. I know I've got fewer years left ahead of me than I have behind me, but I want to make the most of the time I have left. And that's why we try to take care of our health. But we're not going to be afraid of meeting with people and of traveling to the point where we will inject something into us that might actually make us less effective over the remainder of our lives. We have become so risk-averse as people in the 21st century that it's astonishing. When you go back 100 years, Larry, and look at the way people responded to the great influenza of 1918 and 1919, just look up the pictures of the World Series games in 1919. Mm -hmm. The stands were full of people. They didn't shut down and lock down for a disease that is far more deadly than what we're facing in COVID-19. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Well, you mentioned a man by the name of Amar Anus and Martin West, who have shown the links between Jewish theology and the religion of their Mesopotamian forebears. You say that it is now clear that the so-called myths of classical Greece and Rome can be traced back through the Semitic people of the Levant to ancient Babylon, Akkad, and Sumer. So the myths of classical Greece and Rome are not myths. Would you agree? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, yeah. The demigods of the Greeks were the Rephaim that we read about Mm. in the Bible. And to make this a very clear equation for your listeners, the Rephaim were the spirits of the Nephilim destroyed in the flood. Yes. What Sharon and I discovered when we wrote our book, Veneration, a couple of years ago that really surprised us is that the Rephaim were well known to the Canaanite neighbors. And uh, as Amar Anus showed, the Rephaim not only venerated and worshipped by the Amorites of what is now Lebanon, Syria, and Israel, that veneration was transmitted through Anatolia, what is now Turkey, to the Greek-speaking world. Mm And he wrote a brilliant paper in 1999, Are There Greek Rephaim? And he showed that the term used by the Greek poets for the men of the Golden Age, that's the pre-flood era, when Kronos ruled in heaven, was derived from the same Semitic root word from which we get Rephaim. It's like, wow, that's jaw-dropping. And then he took it a step further, almost in passing, and said, oh yeah, and by the way, the name of the old gods of the Greeks, Titans, actually comes from the name of an ancient Amorite tribe called the Tadanu, who were likewise worshipped at Ugarit as it's sort of an underground council of venerated kings, mighty men who were of old, if you will. It appears that the kings of the Amorites, when they died, believed that if they did well enough in the current life and were venerated enough and had enough sacrifices offered to them in the afterlife, they could join this council of the Tadanu. So the Titans 
and the heroes of the Greeks, like Hercules and Perseus, we can trace that right back to the ancient Amorites who lived, and that was the culture that produced Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, I think that the commonality of the features, the activities of these pagan gods, their work, their character is startling, and you've shown that quite well. They have different names, but they are basically the same deities, the same thing is going on, the same war against people, against truth, against morality, against what the Bible puts a premium on. And I think through your work consistently, you have just underscored the fact, dear brother, that we are in a spiritual battle. And I think that's one of the weaknesses of the modern church. In fact, I know there are some missionaries, the Christians in India, they have pointed out that some of the missionaries that come from America, the neo-evangelicals, are actually a secularizing influence on the people of India. And that is fantastic. And I think that's so right. We know John 3.16, and it's about all we know about and all we talk about. And I think that's very, very sad. Well, Derek, we're just getting warmed up. Dear brother, we want to have you back for another show. I would be honored. Well, friends, this is really exciting. The second coming of Saturn, the Great Conjunction, America's Temple, and the return of the Watchers. Derek Gilbert and Larry Spargimino will continue their look at the second coming of Saturn on Monday's Watchmen on the Wall. Today in the Resource Center, we have Derek Gilbert's new book, The Second Coming of Saturn, The Great Conjunction, America's Temple, and the Return of the Watchers. Deep in the earth, this dark god plots and waits. A day is coming when he will be released from his chains. He and his minions will let loose literal hell on earth. A time when people will long to die, but death will not come. This is the true golden age dreamed of for thousands of years, the return of Saturn's reign. In his latest groundbreaking book, The Second Coming of Saturn, from author and researcher Derek Gilbert, you will discover powerful people believe the stars have aligned to bring back the old god Saturn. Occult symbols embedded in the United States Capitol that point to the return of Saturn's reign. Why Lucifer is Saturn, not Satan. In the book, you will find evidence that Saturn was the leader of the rebellious sons of God. You'll discover new research that traces this fallen angel's cult back to Ararat, where Noah's Ark came to rest. You'll learn the identity of Apollyon and the hidden Bible prophecy of God's final judgment on Saturn and the Watchers, The Second Coming of Saturn, The Great Conjunction, America's Temple, and The Return of the Watchers by Derek Gilbert. Order your copy today by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Here's the author of the brand new book, The Twelve, staff evangelist James Collins. The Bible says in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things, 
which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The scene that I just read describes the great white throne judgment. It is the final judgment prior to the loss being cast into the lake of fire. This judgment will take place after the millennium and after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet are. Also at this time, another book is open called the Book of Life. It's the book that determines whether a person will inherit eternal life with God or receive everlasting punishment in the lake of fire. Now, even though you and I as believers, as Christians, are held accountable for our actions, we are forgiven in Christ and our names are written in the book of life from the creation of the world. Can you imagine, though, being lost without Jesus Christ on the day of the great white throne judgment? Think about someone standing in front of the Lord and him saying, Depart from me, I never knew you. And then imagine that person being thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. I'm reminded of a story told by Ruth Anna Metzger. Ruth Anna is a famous singer who lives in the northwest part of the United States. She shared the following story in a book simply titled Heaven. This is Ruth Anna's story. She writes, As a professional singer, it was not unusual to be asked to sing for a wedding, but it was a bit unusual to sing for the wedding of a millionaire. I knew the wedding would be picture perfect and was pleased to be able to participate. But when the invitation to the reception arrived, I knew it would be something exceptional. The reception was held on the top two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, the Northwest's tallest skyscraper, and it was even more wonderful than I imagined. There were waiters wearing snappy black tuxedos who offered luscious hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages for the most discriminating of tastes. The atmosphere was one of grace and sophistication. After about an hour of merriment, the bride and groom approached a beautiful glass and brass staircase that led to the top floor. A satin ribbon which was draped across the bottom of the stairs was cut, and the announcement made that the wedding feast was about to begin. The bride and groom ascended the stairs and the guests followed. What a lavish event of which to be a part. A gentleman with a lovely bound book greeted us as we reached the top of the stairs. May I have your name, please? I am Ruth Anna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy Metzger, I replied. The gentleman searched the book. I'm not finding it. Would you spell it, please? I spelled it slowly and clearly. After searching throughout the book, the gentleman looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name is not here. Without your name in this book, you cannot attend this banquet. Oh, there must be some mistake, I replied. I am the singer. I sang for this wedding. The gentleman calmly answered, It doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend this banquet. As I looked around the room, I thought briefly of running to the groom and trying to plead my case, but with a hundred guests on the stairs behind us, and at every place the tables assigned according to the thoughtful choices of the bride and groom, 
I stood silent. The gentleman with the book motioned to a waiter and said, Show these people to the service elevator, please. We followed the waiter past beautifully decorated tables laden with shrimp, whole smoked salmon, even gracefully carved ice sculptures. And adjacent to the banquet area was an orchestra, its members all dressed in dazzling white tuxedos, preparing to fill the room with glorious music. We were led to the service elevator, stepped in, and the waiter himself pushed G for garage. My husband thoughtfully did not say a word, nor did I. As Roy drove out of the Columbia Tower garage, we both remained silent. After driving several miles in silence, Roy reached over and gently put his hand on my arm. Sweetheart, what happened, he said. Then I remembered. When the invitation arrived for the reception, I was very busy and never bothered to return the RSVP. Besides, I was the singer. Surely I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. As we drove on, I began to cry. I was not crying because I had missed the most lavish banquet of my life, but I was weeping because suddenly I knew what it would be like someday for people as they stand before the entrance of heaven. People who were too busy to respond to Jesus Christ's invitation to his heavenly banquet. People who assumed that the good things they had done would be enough to gain entry into heaven. People who will look for their name in the Lamb's book of life and not find it there. People who did not have time to respond to Christ's gracious invitation to have their sins forgiven and accept him into their hearts. Wow, friends, what a story. Listen to me. Listen, you have to have a reservation. There will be people standing at the entrance of heaven trying to get in. They'll say, Lord, I sang in the choir. Lord, I was a Sunday school teacher. I gave money to ministry. I was a good person. I listened to Brother James Collins on the radio every day. And the Lord Jesus will say, I don't care who you are or what you did. You don't have a reservation. Listen, I know I've got a reservation. How about you? The invitation is in your hands. Make your reservation today. This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The second coming of Saturn, the Great Conjunction, America's Temple, and the Return of the Watchers by Derek Gilbert. Order your copy today by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Derek Gilbert returns Monday to continue to unravel the mysteries of the Great Conjunction, America's Temple, and the Return of the Watchers. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Before we go, let me encourage you to support Watchman on the Wall with a financial gift today. You can give securely online swrc.com or by calling 1-800-652-1144. 
Your prayers and financial support are greatly appreciated. With your help, we are able to bring clarity to the chaos and remind everyone that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Thank you. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Thank you.